1: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music and lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi
2: there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra
3: wheatgrass. Here you go.
0: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled.
2: I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life.
3: What up? It's the Crossover Pod, Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. It's been a rough week for the Philadelphia 76ers. uh, Knocked out of the playoffs by the Hawks. Ben Simmons won't shoot in fourth quarters breakup between Simmons and the Sixers might be coming. They uh, they got a lot of work to do. Overseeing all of that, at least from the business side, is my guest today. He is Scott O'Neill, the CEO of the 76ers, and Scott is much more than a business guy. Uh, he's a huge basketball fan, lives the game, breathes it, been around it a long time. Uh, he's been around the NBA a long time, worked at the league office where he worked for David Stern, was at Madison Square Garden for a time running the Knicks and Scott's got stories to tell. He's also the author of a really fascinating new book. It's called Be Where Your Feet Are, Seven Principles to Keep You Present, Grounded, and Thriving. And look, um, I'll be honest, and I've known Scott a long time, so I was more open-minded about this book than I would be by someone else, but I don't usually read self-help books. I'm a a little cynical, kind of comes with the job. Um, So it's not the first book I would normally pick up, but I did because it was uh, Scott and... You know, he's seen a lot personally and professionally, a lot of life lessons that he's picked up along the way. And I think there's just a lot of really valuable lessons in this book. I actually really enjoyed it, got a lot out of it, uh, as well as out of our conversation for the podcast. I think you will enjoy it as well. Before we get to that, a brief reminder, please subscribe, rate, and review The Crossover on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. And if you have any feedback or questions, of course, you can always hit me on Twitter at Howard Beck. Okay, my conversation with Sixers CEO Scott O'Neill is coming up next, so stick around. This, this, this is the crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris. This relationship.
2: Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of.
1: What
3: does that mean? Could be the best duo ever.
1: I
0: don't see how you can beat that.
1: Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back.
3: Now, pleased to welcome the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers, among other titles, Scott O'Neill. Scott, how are you, my friend?
5: Howard, better not deserve.
3: <laughs> um, no, you deserve a lot. Uh, I have no doubt about that. We've known each other a long time. I know how hard you work. And unfortunately, um, we are uh, making this connection. We set this up weeks ago when I thought, cool, I'll talk to Scott right in the middle of the conference finals. We'll talk about this glorious run the Sixers are on. This is running later this week, but I'm t- we are speaking the morning after. It's been like 12 hours. Um, how would you describe your your state of mind? I know how competitive you are. I know how emotionally invested in this this team you are, even from the business side, maybe more so. Um, how are you processing, to use a word, uh, where things are right now?
5: Yeah, you know, I typically give myself to, to noon on days like this. So <laughs> I believe it's 11 a.m. So you're about <laughs> an hour away from Joyous Scott again. Um, you know... You know, I've been thinking, oh, I couldn't sleep at all last night. You know, I have this expression I used during the playoffs, which I'm sure you experienced as well. I call it tired and wired. So you're just wired from the games, whether it's your own or some. you know, you're watching the, the Jazz or the Suns, um, not Jazz anymore, or the Clips um, or the Bucks. that incredible Bucks net series. Um, I feel like I haven't slept in a couple months and um, because I'm just tired all the time and wired all the time. And then with, with your particular games at home, there's so much that goes into putting on a party for 20,000 of your friends every night, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, but I, so I can tell you that, um, upon reflection, which is the best I can do right now. Um, you know, I I think about what I walked into eight years ago and I walked into a team that had just traded for, you know, the Andrew Bonham experiment was over. Um, we had two first in the next five years, two first round picks in the next five years. Sam Hinkey was a wet-behind-the-ears general manager who had just traded Drew Holiday, who's still a heck of a player, uh, for the rights to draft New Orleans Noel. And we eventually got Michael Carter-Williams with the next pick. And um, we were practicing at PCOM, which is a medical college. There was just one court. and You've been to plenty of practice facilities around the world. And uh, this was probably the worst in history. It reminded me a lot of my junior high school gym. Uh, there were four baskets, believe it or not, in one court, and we shared it with with uh, med students, future doctors. And the locker room uh, had 12 lockers in it, and we, all, we had 15 players on the roster, obviously. So some of the guys um, just put their stuff in the corner on the floor. Our workout room was the size of my bathroom. And I remember I walked in there my first day for the press conference um, announcing me as the CEO and looking around, and the only thing that was going through my head as I was trying to mask it was we – this is, this is not a world-class organization. It's just not. Um, on the business side, we were last in every metric. You know, I think our, just to put things in perspective, I think our season ticket revenue was something like $14 million. And, and right now it's like 89, just to give you a sense of like, you know, the difference between here and there, I think we were 28th, 29th, or 30th in every metric from season tickets to attendance, to, Sponsorship revenue, ratings, brand metric, brand affinity, any, any way you measure our KPIs, our key performance indicators, we were less. So This was clearly a turnaround, like so much so my dad called me and said, like, son, even you can't fall off of this floor. It was like that. And so if you go back to eight years ago um, and you fast forward to last night, um, you know, we have a world class training center. I, I say the best in the world, but maybe it's top three in the world. Um, we have two global iconic superstars. We have Doc Rivers who through this pandemic has proven to be an extraordinary leader on the court as he's off. Daryl Morey joins Elton Brand. We're we're like, we're solid. Um, So, and the basketball team finished first in the East and we had a disappointing finish, but, and on the business side, holy moly. I mean, this is a, this is the, it's the place to be. It's the team to follow. We were when I got to Philadelphia, they told me we were five of five, meaning, meaning behind the Philadelphia Union and the Flyers and the Phillies and the Eagles in terms of affinity. And you'd make a strong case that we're number one, very least uh, number two behind the Eagles in the market. You know, we're the fourth most followed team in China. We've built – we bought the Devil's Prudential Center, created an innovation lab, built a real estate company, built a sports marketing company called Elevate. We um, – You know, raised in a venture fund. I mean, this is like we got into esports. I mean, this is now a you know almost a three billion dollar venture. We've grown the business. You know, the value of this organization over six times in eight years. So, so when I when I step back, when I give myself the luxury of, um, you know, trusting the process, if you will. that's where i am I'm, I'm in a better place um when i focus on the moment or you know two years ago the mother's day massacre in toronto uh or this father's day fiasco last night um it's hard man it is when you put your blood sweat and tears into this just to be fully transparent it, it's hard and um and i i i, I heard for the players um i heard for their families i heard for the staff uh, look, I'm old. I've seen this. I've seen this movie before. You know, I've been in this business 25 years, uh, won some big games, lost some big games. And and, um, and you either love this. You know, I, I give you a story. My daughter, she's interning for the jazz. OK, she goes to school out there interning. And she called me after they lost, burst into tears for 20, 20 minutes. And so I let her carry on and give me her, her sob story. and I say, honey, look, here's the deal, Lex. You either love this and this is what you love. Like, you love that. Like, I'm not saying you love the pain, but you love the emotion. You love the ride. You love the wins. You love the losses. You, like, feel. Like, you just feel. And we're very, like, we feel in our family. Like, we're emotional. It's my Italian blood, I think, that weighs in. My wife is steady as me. I'm up and down. My daughter lacks my older one. Up and down. And you either feel that and love it, or you turn and you run and you never look back. And I was like, you got to make the call. You got to make the call. And, um, and I hope she stays in the business because there is nothing like this business. We have purpose. Like if COVID has taught us anything, it's we have purpose. Like we are the, our why is so clear to me. It's like we bring people together. We unite people. We unite cities. We give you escapism. We give you love. We give you happiness. We give you fear and despair. And we give you emotion and escapism. But we bring connection and at a time when we need connection more than anything else in the world. So, uh, so I, a long answer to a really short question is when I think about today, I'm very proud. Like, in a in not a pat yourself on the back, but like a – a a if, if you can be humbly proud, that's how I feel. I feel like this has been a heck of a journey. It's been eight years. And, uh, and boy, if you'd have told me in, what was it, 14, 15, or 15, 16, whatever that 10-win season was, that we'd be sitting here at number one in the East after, you know, you could shoot a cannon in that – no stands and not hit anybody. And now you can't get a, can't get a ticket to this team. I mean, we got 14. We have the biggest season ticket base in the league next year. Like, it's crazy. So if you would have told me then, now, if you would have told me, like, I couldn't go to it. I told my kids not to go to a game today. Like, you can't come. Like, why? I'm like, because I don't want you to hear what they're screaming at me. That's why. <laughs> wow. You know? And so that, you know, I was like, you know, you want to check out some good – go, go – go to Google Reddit, Scott O'Neill. And then you see like what that was like. Cause I don't think people really understand like what that was. I know what that was like. I was through it. I went through the mud and I got to tell you, I love where this organization is. I love the people here. I love this, is a family. We take care of each other. We treat each other. Well, we work really hard. We have like really, really big eyes and really big goals. And we talk about growth and business and it's fun. And, and it's but uh, well, it's
3: man is tough day to day, for sure. So, I mean, obviously, I appreciate the long view here. I'm a reporter. It's my whole point of of, of my uh, profession is is professional emotional distance. I can sit here and right. go, oh, you know, I can tell somebody, yeah, you know what, uh, you know, I know you're disappointed, but the Sixers. Think about where you were. Exactly what you just presented, Scott. The trajectory and the path that this this franchise has been on, the evolution, and that's all great. And those are all positive things. And Philly fans eight years ago, seven years ago, whatever would have like killed for, for that outcome. Guess what guys, here's where you're going to be in 2021. That's right. But of course, none of that matters today because it's just the sting of, of defeat and not just that, but this team had legitimate championship hopes and the roster, the coach, the front office, everything is in place that you look at it and the outline of a championship is there and you're falling a couple rounds short now. So when you, when you have to be in the moment of it, and I know for yourself and for your own sanity, you need to take the long view. But those same fans you alluded to on Reddit and everywhere else, what are you telling them at a moment like now? Or is there even anything you can tell fans no, at, gotta, at a, at a moment like
5: this? Time time heals all wounds. I mean, I, I just, again, you know, you've been in this business. I mean, I think I met you in, what, 2003? something. <laughs> it might have been
3: a little later in the 2000s, but somewhere in there, yeah
5: um i will say like you know you you when you run an organization you you hope you have a team that can, can compete and i tell you two years ago that jj reddick jimmy Butler team that team sh- could have won a championship i said that the doc rivers went to dinner um uh, daryl doc me and elton when they first came to town and I knew Daryl, of course, known him for twenty years and, and uh Doc, I I didn't know. I mean, we knew all the same people, we had a lot of the same friends, and, and my friends were calling him and his friends were calling him, you know, and all that stuff. And and I was like, you know, he's like, man, we were talking about team, life, business, family, all that stuff. And I said something like, you know, four bounce away from a from a, a you know, a championship. And he's like, he sounded like a fan. And I was like, but I've been in this business a long time too, my man. And I know you're Doc Rivers, but I got to tell you, like you don't have many chances to compete for a championship. There are 29 other teams in this league that are fighting every day to do exactly what we're doing. And when you are good enough and the path is laid out for you and you have the talent and you have the infrastructure and you have this coach and et cetera in place like we did in Toronto with that team and like we had against Atlanta with this team, they, they sting a little bit more, you know? And it doesn't mean like when I was with the Knicks and we had made the playoffs in years and years and years, and we go up to Boston and lose that series. I got to tell you, it felt like I got punched in the face. Okay. Like it, and, and they were better, you know, but I still, it was just like, you work is so hard to get a team there, you know? Um, But it's hard. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not like, you know, I'm human. You know, I, I, I have emotion. I, I, I hurt. Um, and I hurt for people, and I hurt for this organization. I heard how how sad everyone is, and how mad everyone is. But but for fans, you know, these are the most passionate fans in the world down here. I mean, this, this is this you know, and you know, it's my, my friend sent me a note today about the six stages of grief or whatever it was, or you know, I just deleted it instantly. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I got plenty of things to grieve, but sent one of them. You know, yeah. I mean, this is this is it's a game, and yeah. uh, and we 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 fought our fought our butts off. And, uh, and unfortunately came am short, by the way, how about Atlanta? Good for them. Good Amazing. for Nate McMillan. Amazing. You know, good for Steve Coonan who runs that business and, uh, Tony wrestler, like, and, you know, new, new guy in the league. I know a bunch, I know him and his bunch of his partners are wonderful people. Um, we had great, you know, it's just like the NBA, it's, it's a unique league. You fight to the death on the court, off the court, corporate partners. Like we, we, you know, we spent a lot of time with them in Atlanta. And they spent a lot of time with us and, we were treated like royalty down there, and hopefully they would say the same thing up here, but good people. Uh they put on a heck of a show up there, and uh it looks like they got they got something going.
3: Yeah, no, the the Hawks are are incredible. None of us could have seen it. There's a lot about this season that we could not have seen coming, including yeah, yeah. by the way, in the other conference, the Suns being in the conference finals, but um the Hawks are an incredible story. So um but at a moment like this, this will be my last question just about this Sixer season that just concluded. What is the um I have to, why do I have to keep coming back to the the same process word? Like it just, it just sneaks into conversation. What is the process for an organization or for your organization at a moment like this about dealing with the pain and the disappointment of it, figuring out what's next? Um, there's obviously a lot of changes already been made, right? Doc just, it's just finished his first season with you guys. Daryl Morey just finished his first season. You have these two young cornerstones. We don't need to get into the roster decisions that come, but what is the process at the ownership and management level of saying, okay, how do we, um, learn from what just happened, D- you know, channel whatever that disappointment and, and pain is right now, productively, how long do you take before you make any decisions as an organization?
5: Yo, that's such a loaded question. You already know the answers. Like this league it's a 12 month league. You know, you don't, you don't have the luxury of time. You know, we've got drafts right around the corner, free agencies right around the corner. I mean, I guess what was different this year, you know, I mean, Doc's, Doc's seen this movie. Daryl's seen this movie. Elle's been around the block. Like this is a this is a world class front office. Like I, I don't, you know, I mean, I don't know how long you take to lick your wounds. I told you I was giving myself till noon. I don't know if I'm Daryl or Doc. Maybe it takes a week. I, I have no idea. I don't, know. I, I don't know. I've never worked with those guys the first first time. And it's been strange year. It's like, you know, we don't really even know each other that well in terms of work context. It's like mm. everyone yeah. I've ever worked with we're we're just you know, in and around each other all the time. And this, we were us all separated. So I, I I can't pretend to know like how they, how they handle disappointment. Uh, we all have our own method to do it, but we don't have time to cry in our Wheaties right now. It's like, it's like reboot, retool, let's go, you know, like, what do we learn? What do we have to do? And they'll do it. And Daryl's, you know, look at his history. Um, you know, he's, he's been a deal maker his whole career. So I'll be, be, be very excited to see what he decides to do with his team. I'm sure in consultation, of course, with Elton and Doc. And uh but man, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It won't be dull. Never is dull. That's the no. one thing you can count on in Philadelphia. Your franchise you know? is no, not your sorry, franchise has, is not dull. No. It ain't ever dull. <laughs> <laughs> there's, always, there's always something cooking.
3: And I've always told people too. Um anytime anybody had a question about the Rockets when Daryl was there and now about the Sixers now, my default answer on all questions about the Rockets then the Sixers now is Daryl's going to be aggressive. There's going to be I don't I don't know what's happening next. I guarantee you they will do something.
0: BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the US economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California.
4: 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Terms apply.
3: Your book, which you have uh, two of over your shoulder, not just one. Uh, Be Where Your Feet Are, Seven Principles to Keep You Present, Grounded, and Thriving. Which principle applies today?
5: Trust the process. That De- definitely trust the process. Still have a plan. And by the way, this applies to life, and applies to teams, yep. applies to business, applies to you, applies to relationship with my wife, positive relationship with my children as I'm trying to raise three strong women. And it's like you know we live in the insta-famous world, right? Um, we live in the TikTok famous world. We are. It's not 15 minutes of fame anymore. It's 15 seconds. And and what we see on Facebook and Instagram is cute. And I love to learn about your daughter and her scoring a winning goal. Good for you. Or, you know, my friend's son got into Yale. My daughter didn't. You know, God bless America. I think all that stuff is great. And, and everybody should keep posting it. It's, it's fine. Like, I, I love to see cool stuff about my, my friends and their kids getting married in school and successes. And it's just not life. Um, life is messy. Life is running a company to the ground. Life's getting fired. Life is having trouble at home. Life's having a daughter who's suffering from anxiety. Life is, um, you know, a daughter crashed in a car, Life's a miscarriage life. That's what life is, you know? And by the way, all that stuff happened to me and all that stuff's in the book. And this is not a book where I'm like taking a victory lap. It's not me like saying, Hey, look at me. I'm awesome. Hey, look, everything is awesome. It's not that this book is about like the reality of peeling back that onion and looking at somebody from the outside who has it all figured out. Cause that's, that's what it is. I got my fancy suits on. I'm like sitting in great seats at games. So I've run multiple sports organizations. I've got, um, you know, live in a beautiful neighborhood. I've got this amazing wife for 25 years, but guess what? How about getting your face kicked in repeatedly? And what you learn when you get your face kicked in, or at least sand kicked in your face, is that there are all these amazing lessons to learn. And, um, and that's where the joy is. That's where the people you meet. That's where families form. That's how you get strength and grow. And that's how you learn. And that's, that's, what why trusting the process is so important it's like you know the fake veneer um if you can peek behind the curtain you see everybody has that crap in their life and it's messy and it's okay and i want everyone to know that it is okay um and that you can get through it and not only can you get through it but you're going to learn and grow and that mountain you're climbing i gotta tell you like it's the wrong analogy it's the it's the the climb up the mountain it's not the top of the mountain that we want to get to
3: no, and and I think it's important to point out, and I'm glad you did as as you were going through kind of all of these things, these challenges that people face in life. That these were your challenges. That this book is not, as you say, a victory lap. This is whatever success people see in Scott O'Neill, CEO of the Sixers, and Harris Blitzer. Um, you've been through some stuff professionally and personally, and you're you're very open about it, very raw in this book. And I think like that, that that's you know the lessons are obviously grounded in your your own experience and and it and it has been it's been obviously pretty tough. So I want to emphasize that because I think people, if they look at it as a book, it's like, Oh, this is just, you know, one of those motivational books or some CEO is going to try to tell me how to live my life. Like, no folks, Scott's been through some shit. Okay. (laughs) He's he's, he's seen a lot. Yes. I can curse on this podcast, Scott. Sorry. I I apologize. Um, but anyway, um, and I think there's a lot of great stuff in there. And so like, I think this is not just for people who are MBAs or CEOs, um, teacher, musician, writer, whatever. I, I, I do think there are great just kind of life lessons in here. Um, for everyone. Are there, do you think some of these, cause you are writing this from the perspective of, of a, of a, of a business person. Are there some that you think are the most universal that you find that your friends who are in other walks of life um, are, the, are, you know, relate to the most?
5: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I've heard from, uh, you know, it's like when you write a book um, you know, it, it's pretty humbling. I mean, especially if you put it out there, you know, this is raw and humbling. And so, the first thing, you know, you, you try to avoid is like the mom thing because my mom thinks I'm amazing. I promise you. she She's probably the person who wrote my bio for that they sent you before this call. So <laughs> it's like, you know, and, and I love my mom and she loves this book and she thinks I'm a genius. But I've gotten uh, notes from, from strangers, which has been really pretty amazing. I mean, so you know, I just got one literally um, this morning when I woke up and he just said like, I listened to your audio book. I was driving from wherever to Idaho or something. And he said, I cried for the first five hours. And I was like, all right. And then he was like, I'm going to be better father. I'm going to be a better husband. And, um, and that that makes it worth it. I will say, like, that is the stuff that matters. So is there something? Yeah, be where your feet are. Put your freaking phone down and get your head up. And in the office, yes, I have a phone table. And you come into a, a conference room with me, and you're going to put your phone on the table. And we're going to sit around And before the meeting starts. And I'm going to ask you how your weekend was. Cause I think that's a lost art, it, you know, kind of the world has become an elevator. Everybody like just stares down. And I think, um, and at home we have a phone basket. It's not in here. It's anyway, <laughs> we have a phone basket. So like you don't walk up to the dinner table with your phone. Um, and I will tell you, like, it's hard. You come home from a hard day. I don't care if you're selling insurance or painting paintings or, or, um, or you're a writer or you do what I do. It's like, you come home. Some days are hard man. it's crying and you're stressed. And, um, and we've got to be dads and, or, or moms, and we've got to be partners and we've got to be friends and we've got to, um, you know, we've got to be better and do better. So I think what's resonating for a lot of people is I had this, uh, one story in the intro about my, my daughter, well, there's another one in the back, about another one of my daughters which is write, write a love letter to each other. Okay. And so that's one that's resonating with a lot of people. They said, look, I cried writing yours. And I said, it's not about crying, reading mine. It's about writing yours. It's like, how many real conversations are you having with your children? Like authentic, not, Hey, how was school? Fine. Uh, what did you learn? Nothing. Uh, how you doing? Good. Uh, and then she goes up to her room and I'm like, I'm done with that. Like, I, I want us to do better. I want us. My wife said to me once, would you do this at home? I mean, would you do this at work? And I was like, no, she's like, well, lead. And I was like, good one. You know? And I think like, some of the stuff we use at work to be extraordinary at work or to be successful at work or just to get by at work. Like that's some stuff we got to bring home. And I think, you know, you know, I, I, the most embarrassing thing is like during the pandemic, I bought like thought starter cards, which is so embarrassing. Cause like, I'm a good conversation. It's like, I like people, you can drop me in North Korea and I'd like be having conversations, you know? And I'm sitting at my dinner table because I hadn't been a family dinner in 25 years. I'm at family dinner every night, for 14 months. And I bought these little cards and it was just like, You know, what's your favorite vacation and why? You know, if you meet anyone who they like. And by the way, I mean, after a week, I'm like, okay, I got it. Ask interesting questions and let's talk. And um, and we got into some real stuff. I mean, there's some pretty heavy stuff. I've got three daughters who are all very different. They're all very strong personality and they all see the world differently. And what what a what a difficult time for this country. But what a wonderful time in the house to start talking about things like social justice and talking about things like politics and talking about things like what does it mean to be a working mom like what does that look like or what does it mean to be uh you know challenging yourself like what are you going to accomplish this summer like i'm just not sure we're having those conversations so if one if you take one thing out of this be where your feet are put your phone down get your head up engage engage in the moment make moments count if we learned another thing in this pandemic it's it's leading and Time is our most precious commodity. It really is. And we have this incredible opportunity that's sitting right before us. And yet I'm out with my friends three days ago who I haven't seen in a year. And I walk up, of course, I'm the latest one there. They all get their phones out. I was like, guys, uh-uh. we're better than this. I haven't seen you in a year. What are we looking at? You might have to. You, I mean, you, you're like, hey, maybe there's news on this. It's playoffs. These guys, me, I'm not missing anything on Twitter. Nothing, nothing. I can't wait. There's no text I have to answer. Mm. There's no TikTok video I need to see. And I, I wonder if we we commit to each other, really say like. If, and I said to these guys it wasn't well received. I said like, if you don't want to be here, you shouldn't be here. But if we're gonna be here, let's spend the time together. And I and I wonder if we could do if we could live a little bit stronger. If we can if we can make a little bit of an impact. And the last thing I know, I'm talking way too much. No,
3: no, no. Keep, keep going. It's great stuff.
5: Is like. I do this thing, I I speak to, I've been speaking to companies, I spoke to Google, AstraZeneca, all these big time companies. And I always start the same way. I was like, all right, pick your phones up. And what they're going to, they think I'm going to say is, put your phone down, turn it off. I say, no, pick your phone up. I want you to text your mom. I want you to tell her that you take 60 seconds, tell her you love her, what you appreciate about her, and one thing you learn from her. They go, they go, to do a thing. Here's what my mom said to me the first time I did this. Okay, this was like four months ago. She's like, "Hun, are you okay? I was like, Shh, I'm better at this too. It's like, and moms are the most underappreciated class of people in the history of humankind. However, it's like, what if we just did that 60 seconds a day? 60 seconds, not just your mom, but you should send one to your mom or your dad and your dad. But like, what if like mentor, teacher, coaches, friends, neighbors, colleagues, people we work for, people we work with, people that work for us. What if one we sent one text a day just to check in and tell someone we loved them and we appreciated? The world's better. Like these are simple, simple things that the world needs right now.
3: It's great stuff, and I and I you know it, it resonates with me um, way too much. Unfortunately, because of, it's all the things that I feel like on a day to day basis I personally am uh, more often than not failing to do. And I admit, every so often somebody will do that text check in with me, and I think why are they checking in today? What's, what's wrong? Are they, are they okay? Why are they, you know, like we, we have, because we don't do this enough, when somebody does take the moment to just send the out of the blue text, that's literally nothing behind it. No agenda, no anything. And then we're, why, why are they reaching out right now? Is there something? It, it's a strange sensation. Cause you realize it is, it's because we are not, um, we're not engaged enough and we're not reaching out enough and we're not, you know, it, it's so suddenly the, the thing that should be the obvious human thing to do becomes the, um, the, the, the anomaly almost. And, um, Right. And your intention,
5: once your intention is that I'm going to do this every day, you are, I promise you the world will send you people in your head and you're like, yes, I should send her a text. Yeah. Yep. I got sent. No, and, it's... um, and I, feel, I feel good when someone reaches out to me just to check in, not to, people need stuff from you all the time. Howard. They do. Okay. People need stuff from me all the time. You know, I oftentimes get like, Hey, just checking in on you. And the next thing is, Hey, can I have tickets? So, like, I get that bracketed a lot. It's okay. It's, it's part of the job. I understand. But, like, what if we just purely were checking in because we cared? Yeah. You know, I think we need to do that more.
3: It's, no, it's an important reminder for all of us. And, and I, I will admit this freely, me especially.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Archaea Energy.
4: 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.
3: We've been through this this crazy, it's stressful year for everybody on a number of levels. In the midst of the pandemic, we also had this uh, exploding social justice movement. You note in the book um, a couple of things. There's there's the personal side of it where you talk about your own self education on these issues and realizing at a certain moment where I, I, I need I need to know more about this. I need to I need to have a better sense of this. And I think you know we both come at this from a similar standpoint, probably as just middle aged white dudes who you know did not experience a lot of what we were hearing. Um, others have experienced in this in this country in this world. Um, and this is you you work in a league and I cover a league that is seventy five to eighty percent. African-American players and their experiences, which we heard a lot more about over the last year, we weren't in tune with before. So we've all, I, th- I feel like there was a moment last year. We all felt a little bit better about getting um, uh, an understanding, in- engaging, adding our voices when we can. But here we are, Scott, a year later, and I feel like a lot of this has already kind of faded. So I, I, a couple have th- a couple thoughts on this and just take this wherever you want to go with it. Sure. You know, the league did what it what it needed to do in, in the moment, I think. And I think not for political or business purposes. I think the league embraced Black Lives Matter because it was essential. This is who the, who the league is. So Black Lives Matter was on the court. The slogans were on the jerseys. Um, a lot of social justice messaging, everything else. We get to a new season. No one's kneeling. No, no messages on the court. And so it's easy to think, I know there's some financial commitments that were made too, but it's easy to think, well, the, the league moved on. And so I'm curious about that part of it, but also within that, you do note in the book that you had season ticket holders who don't agree with this, who said, I'm out. And you had to say, that's fine. Move on without us. You're a businessman. That's, that's, that, that cannot be a tough or an easy yeah, conversation. But, but you know, so.
5: yeah, I'll, I'll go back to the core question in a second, but I will say like, even during the process area, every time someone said this is crap basketball, I my, my, my money back, I was, I'd be like, no problem. As long as you don't, you promise not to come back for three years you can have your money back for the whole season. I'll rebate even the games you came to, and um, and I I I don't. I mean, I, it's hard. This one's hard for me because I have a hard time believing that values like equality is something you can take the other side of. That's really hard for me. Like I don't understand. Okay, and and I do talk about in the book about like how much I thought I knew versus how much I know, and it, it was the gap was too wide for me to get comfortable. Okay. And if it's too wide for me to get comfortable, um, I, I imagine that that's representative, um, that I'm on, I'm, on the, I'm on the positive side of the scale in terms of knowledge and I thought my gap was huge. And um, you know, I didn't really understand systematic racism. I didn't even know what the Tulsa massacre was. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I had a lot to learn and I learned it. And I got great education from my, my colleagues at work and that was a gift that I'll, I'll, I'll never be able to a- adequately repay. Um, but is has the league quit? And the heck no, man. We are, you know, I don't know. I, I wish everyone knew what actually happens behind the scenes. I mean, we just, I'll just talk our organization. I'll talk bigger, 20,000 foot. I mean, we have this, this incredible program called Buy Black, where we support five um, black owned early stage businesses in Philadelphia yeah. and in Newark. And um, it's it's cool. We give them free sponsorship, and we give them resources, etc., and access, branding, and marketing, and PR, and etc. And it makes me happy. And I I hope we make a real difference in these ten businesses. We're gonna do ten a year. Um, we we did an audit of our of our vendor spend, and it was it was painfully white. And so we sent benchmark set benchmarks, and we're in the process of diversifying who we spend money with. Uh, we, we invest in a business, um, in a, in a, in a uh, housing project in, um, strawberry mansion, uh, an area of Philadelphia that, that's in need of some resources. We bid on a $4 billion project, to the waterfront that was going to put a billion dollars into the African-American community in Philadelphia. And so we, we, and are you know, we're, we're, we are putting our money where our mouth is and we are making a difference. And, and, and like, it's, and, and, am I going to change the world? I mean, the organization on me personally. I think so. I do. I, I think I think we all have to do our part. I mean, I walked into an organization that was 95% white men. Can you imagine that? Like in this day and age? An NBA team! We had, we had one woman who was a VP or above. One. Okay? And we had one director who was a person of color. One. And now, 34% of our organization are people of color. And you might say like, Yeah, but you grew your organization. I was like, yeah, 61% of the people I have hired since I've been here in eight years are not white men. Okay? So it's not an accident. Like, you don't, you know, you don't drive diversity accidentally. And so my friends who call me and say, Hey, should I hire a chief diversity officer? I'm like, you're the chief diversity officer. You're the CEO. That's your job. Like, now can you? I have a chief diversity officer, so I'm not disparaging that mark. His name is David Gould, and he knows more in his pinky than I'll ever know. Okay. But like, it's you. It's on you. It's on you to say no. You can't hire a white man for this job. And you know what? That sucks to hear for a lot of people, and they don't like it. But you know what? We gotta do better. You now I've got, you know, I've got eighteen women who are VPs now, thirteen SVPs and above, including our COO, our chief red officer, our chief people officer, our GM of our building. Like, I mean, it's cool. Like, it's, and I wish, you know, not wish. I hope that people understand that i totally i believe that it's a competitive advantage i'm not into charity i'm a businessman okay i like deals i like business i like good business and i have a, in my soul i believe that if we have diverse people around the table we're better smarter faster and make better decisions i believe in my soul and so i drive it And so my friends are like you know i've got to like diversify my organization i'm like i'll see you in five years i'll see you in three years if everything goes like it's I mean, it's not by hiring someone. That's not creating a diverse organization, nor is it inclusive. You know, the first few diverse hires you hire, it's hard for them. Women, people of color, African-American, whoever, however, whoever. It's like, you know, it takes time to build a community where it becomes part of who you are and part of your DNA. It's fortunately part of ours now. And by the way, I'm not like, we haven't won the race. I'm just saying it's like, we are we are fighting to fight every day, and we're making sure that this is a place where where diversity is celebrated in in the community and in this office. And and I'm sure like we stumbled and fell. I'm sure we hired the wrong person or fired the wrong person or said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. Sure, sign me up for all that. I, I got you. But um, but this is a this is a process I'm proud of. So does that – and in the NBA, man, I, I will tell you like we don't have a conference call, we don't have a Zoom call that that this is not put at the forefront. I mean, we, we get literally executive candidates set to sent to us every week by Oris, who runs the diversity program, the NBA, the commissioner, like rails, they're showing stats and facts. Like here we're going through stacks and stats and facts of, of our organizations um, as to our diversity numbers and how we're doing and who we're hiring and why Like it, it's, it's for real, man. And so I don't know. I, I, I you know, I, I think that the branding stuff is, is good. It's positive. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we, we got out there. But it's time for the real work, like the real, real work. And, and that happens inside organizations where we can be role models and we can hire and we can change. And it happens in the communities where we can actually make change, change the world. Um, and our players, I love, I love, love, love. I mean, you know, you know, the players in the 90s, you know, the quotes that the most famous players have said. It's different. It's a different world. I'm proud. I, I love it. and I don't always agree with what our guys say. It makes me even more proud. Like this is not a group that's, that's fighting a political fight. They're fighting a social fight. They want to make the world better. And that's not just like Joel and Be Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris. And by the way, they do it and good for them. It's like my daughter's 14. It's like, dad, this isn't right. I'm like, that's right. Honey. That's right. What are you going to do about it? You know? And I love that. And she's in, savannah georgia building houses right now in some crappy area living in a bunk room with uh 10 other girls i'm like good for you you know because you can talk about it all you want you know but we gotta move to action so so no i i I hear you like are there business implications i'm sure there are i don't care i hope nobody cares and the people who care the people who want to change the world they'll be with us um because i i'd hate to be on the wrong side of history and this is the right side of history uh
3: amen to that um it did come with some consequences, or at least perceived consequences. And of course, as soon as the ratings, you know, go a certain direction, you immediately have people uh, trying to, uh, you know, use that as as a uh, you know um, a a you know hammer to smash the league with and say, oh, "Look, this is what happens." You know, they embraced, they're embracing social justice, and so people are tuning out or whatever. Like, what do we know or not? Now, the league obviously has a lot better metrics than those of us in uh, the media or fans do about whether there's any nexus between what the league does off the court and how it might impact, um, ratings, popularity, all this stuff. So people will spin it every direction. They will use their, because they're their own, they have their own political agendas. Do we, does the league have a sense of whether there has actually been any, uh, negative consequences to being so out in front on social justice issues?
5: I, I would have to ask them. I mean, I, I don't know. I I would just say, you, you know, this like the, the ratings argument is, it's interesting and compelling. Like we have the greatest content in the world. Um, it's, it's, it's consumed differently than it was 10, 20 years ago. Um, the media rights holders can't get enough of this property. Um, only 1% of our fans will ever see it game live. So we're spending a lot of time on second screen, third screen experience. It's a global business. I mean, is I I don't know. I'm really bullish about the league and where it's heading. And um, and maybe there's some blowback. I would just say, like, the world isn't full of white men. It's just not. You know, so I think we're heading in the right direction. It's, it's the most global league in the world with the biggest stars on the planet who are people of color. I mean, what better commercial could you have for the world and social change? I mean, I go back to, like, you know, the old David Stern stories of him, like, you know, like what he did with HIV and Magic Johnson. It's like, I mean, you go back to, I don't know. I just think this, that's what this league is. And so, is it for everybody? I think so. I mean, everybody's invited. You know, no one is cut out of this league. You can love us, you know, and we, and we will have you. Uh, but do people want to make other choices if they do? Enjoy um, we'll, we'll welcome you back when you, when you get the bug again. Like, I, I can't go without watching games, and it's like a, you know, I never did drugs, so This I guess is my version of drug.
3: <laughs> um, all right, last one then, because you mentioned David Stern, and this was uh, absolutely on my list, of course. You mentioned him at one point in the book uh, where you describe his management style – This is like the nicest uh, description of David Stern's management style. Uh, uh, You allude to, quote, fear and intimidation are effective motivators, and episodic (laughs) micromanagement drives extraordinary management. Um, You you left out all the F-bombs that are uh, mixed in there. But um, it, it worked for David on some level you know, you worked for him uh, yeah, for people who don't know you worked at the league office for a long time too. So, and you've worked with him, obviously from the team standpoint too, you know, how David operated. And that was a very uh, kind description, but accurate. Uh, was either that or just your best David Stern story. Uh, give uh, I me- mean,
5: there's so many, I, first of all, I love him. God rest his soul. I, um, he, he handed me my career. I mean, I, I you know, I don't, I'm not doing what I'm doing without David Stern. I was not president of Masters Square Garden without David Stern. I'm not the CEO of the seven sisters without David Stern. No chance, no how, no way. Um, I, I tell you how I, when I, when I interviewed, um, <laughs> I have so many stories. I literally, I I, um, Well, even the ones that are in the book, like he's hard on you. Like he is yeah, not, no, he, but he's so, hard on everybody. So, so here's so. one. that's not in the book. Um, so, um, Ski Austin was a longtime events guy at the, at the NBA, and and Ski uh, famously told me when I left, on my last day at the NBA, when I was heading over to MSG, he says, Scott, the first day I met you, I knew I would hate you. Ski Austin, okay. Um, so you know, so we were in Orlando. He didn't. He became a really dear friend of mine. And we were in Orlando, and we were running a league meeting, sort whatever, 1,000 team people there. And it's my meeting so i'm putting the meeting on and david is the talent so he would come in and you know just everybody so it's the night before we're having a cocktail reception and um we forgot the name tags at the hotel and it was at the nba um restaurant whatever it's called down there in orlando and that was a big thing because david didn't want to be embarrassed because he wanted to know everybody because he he wanted to be able to talk specifically to each person about their teams he was very interested in people and their businesses and and so Ski and I were standing there, and someone had tipped him off on the plane. There were moles everywhere. So he comes in with a head of steam, and it's me and Ski. And he is screaming this close to my face, you know, <laughs> you mother, the damn you, you know. And I'm just standing there somehow. I don't know if it was like playing for crazy coaches when I was growing up, but I got a calm when he'd be screaming at me. I really got a calm. And, um, and I looked over at ski and he always liked to divide and conquer. That was the thing. So he would like try to put me against ski and ski against me. And I was just, he's like, Who? who's responsible? Is this ski's is, it is it incompetent? And I was like, No, no, it's both of us. I mean, it's my event, and I'm responsible, and ski's responsible. And together we're gonna figure this out. And of course, there's people three levels down from us, and whatever. We're just we and he is screaming, then he goes to ski, and um, ski's like what he said, you no, know, sexually. And then I said, hey, David, like, we can just sit here and scream at me for another 20 minutes while everybody looks on. I said, or I can stand by you. I know everybody in this room. I'll just tell you who they are. And he's like, shut up. You know, anyway, but that, that was the type of environment. By the way, that, that bonded me to Steve forever. But I, I have a lot of those moments with him. Um, I remember this is the worst one. We were in, um, I swear, I know you said one, but.
3: No, go we for were.
5: It. I was one of my first trips with him. And I didn't really understand. I didn't understand him at that point. I was a young guy. I was probably 32 years old. And you get, a, you get a chance at 32 years old to travel with who I consider to be, like, the father of modern sports marketing, right? Um, the greatest of all time. We get on the plane, everybody shoots for the back because he is a tire. And I would always sit right, right across from him because I was always fascinated by him. You know, I just wanted to learn. I figured, like, I could learn anything. And he would get on his phone, you know, on, on, the, you know, on the plane. He'd have a stack of papers and magazine articles. He was reading about it science and technology and geopolitical you know business too and sports but you know everything else and then whoever was sitting there he would just be grilling you know and putting him on the hot seat so we we get to um and i would taunt him a bit it's fair enough so like he was always on a diet uh his wife traveled with sometimes and she'd be like david i'm hungry you know can you get me something i was like david i'm hungry too can you get me something he would just glare back or was or he was on a diet, I would get a cookie, and the press would be facing him, and I would be behind him, and I would be holding up a cookie. So I did stuff like that which I probably shouldn't have done it. Anyway, <laughs> we're sitting down, and um, we hadn't slept in a couple of days. He, he would get up at 5 in the morning, and I'd be in his room. I was advanced. So, you know, when you're an advanced guy, you do all – like, you know, you have to know where to go, what to say. You have the message points. You're doing like – it's kind of like an executive assistant. That wasn't my, my role, but on these trips, that's the job I played, A role I played. And, um, and he, it was a particularly difficult trip. He, I had, he had walking pneumonia at the time. And, um, and, and this guy, I mean, he was just a warrior. So we sit down he's like, do you have the name? Cause he's like, why don't you relax? Why don't you put your feet up? Let me to get you something to eat. I was like, what are you talking about? Like we're done. Like we had literally 10 meetings in 10 hours. Okay. And this guy is just, he gets up, no notes, hits every message point. I'm like, here are the notes. He looks at him. He's like, I don't need these notes. Gets up, hits every message point. Like it was kind of insane. Like I'd never seen. He must have a photograph memory. Unbelievable. And so we finally sit down. I'm exhausted. I've been up since five. It's now halftime or whatever, second period or second quarter. He's like, "Why don't you put your feet up? You, you relax. You all comfortable? You want to get you something to eat?" I was like, "No, nah, I'm good. I'm nah, I'm fine." He's like, "What is my what's my my pilot's number?" I was like, "I I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm like." you know i'm like scrambling through my notes i'm going through my briefcase like texting all his assistants and i get it in like literally 60 seconds i was like it's a 201 he goes i have it why don't you have it? you're the low man on a totem pole you need to have this i was like "Yeah, kidding man right i was like fine okay you prove your point he's like oh um do you think um, the Utah media would like to see me at halftime or are you just going to sit in and get some more popcorn for yourself? I was like, <laughs> so I was like, no, I bet they would. So I walked down, you know, we got my little pass on, you know, walking down, I go to see the producer of the TV. I'm like, Hey, would you take Dave? He's like, Oh, I love the commissioner. You're kidding me. I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, when do you want him down here, bring him down at this point. I was like, okay. I walk over radio, same thing. They take him. I walk up I'm like, straight, you're right. Utah will take you. He's like, what about Portland? Like like, that was him. And that, I mean, it was never, it was never enough, but I'll tell you, like, I don't, my attention to detail is my attention to detail because of him. Like I don't, I do my my team, my, my team I work with now, they understand like what world-class looks like. They understand what executing an event looks like. They understand like we don't make those mistakes because if you have that stuff, because the world is swirling and things are going to happen and problems are going to happen. And you do everywhere, every time. But you take care of your business, then you can handle that stuff without a problem. But, uh, I mean, I got off the phone one time. Phone rings. He's like, you mother ever! And I was like, mom? Like, <laughs> you know who this is. You know exactly. So, I, I mean, I have so many of those stories. Like, you know, where, um, but I, I will tell you, uh, I don't think many people understand because a lot of people saw that side of him. Especially internally, it was it was it was a hard place to work. um That eighty three number, eighty three hundred number would would crawl across your phone, and you know that heart was beating fast. um But I had some I had some challenges, uh, some medical stuff with my family, and um, you know, I mean, he was the first call, like first call to me. To me, I didn't call him. He's like, hey, I understand you have a problem. I say, how do? You, wait, what? Uh, he's like, here are five doctors. Linda's going to walk you down the numbers. We'll set up appointments for you, blah, blah, blah. Calls me three days later. He's like, hey, uh, uh, I understand you don't have an appointment. I said, no, 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 they're waiting. He's like, wait, I'll call you back in five minutes. He's like, okay, you have an appointment. It's at Columbia Presbyterian, blah, blah, blah. Like he was that guy. And then we'll follow up a week later. It's like, do you need anything for your family? Like this guy would, you know, he was tough. Okay. But he was your tough. He was like a tough dad. Like I needed anything at any time from anyone he was there without me asking ever Like he was that he was he was a wonderful soul but man he was tough as nails tough yeah. as nails
3: that uh, that sums him up perfectly I think um, he was he was one of a kind uh, we do miss him um, Scott I think I've held you longer here than, uh, than and we're also coming up on noon so like the clock is ticking on when you get to three like, minutes away three minutes away from everything just being perfectly fine um
5: yeah, yeah. no that, like
3: that lego guy <laughs> everything is awesome uh, appreciate it uh the book folks again be where your feet are go check it out a lot of great lessons in there um trust me for all of us uh good stuff appreciate it scott thank you for uh for spending the time thanks for the great thoughts um and and uh some great life lessons there too appreciate you
5: i right, always rooting for you take care thank you
3: Okay, that's all for today's show. Thanks again to my guest, Scott O'Neill. Thanks to our producer, Shelby Royston. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the NBA chatter. And on Fridays, it's me and a guest. We've got some great ones lined up. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. And hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck.